<laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, it's great to be here with all of you. Uh, but uh, there's been a, a little mishap and what I'd, well, <laughs> I'm about to reveal this to you. <clears throat> I'm going to open our show this evening with a poem. This is the sad tale of Annabelle Crabb, who had but has now lost the gift of the gab. Poor Crabbles who gabbles for much of each day now dabbles in silence her voice went away. It happened last Saturday after a cold when Crab went out partying, though she'd been told to rug up in bed with the meds that I brought her, but she went to a rock concert staged by her daughter. That arvo, as, as Crab squawked along with the bands, the vocal gods dealt her the cruelest of hands. The excitement she felt at the height of the gig undid her. Crab's voice just snapped like a twig. And in the week since, she hasn't been heard. It's bliss. <laughs> no more tendentious prattling about birds or seeding her speech with extravagant words or effectively quoting from Richard III. But Crab lives to speak, so great is her need. She's written this poem she's forced me to read. <laughs> yep. Just when you thought things couldn't get worse, here comes a big steaming plate of crab's verse. <laughs> what is it with Chat 10 and visits to Perth? It's clear now that we're in the grips of a curse. Last time we visited this patch of dirt, I had a thunderous bout of the squirts. <laughs> and what did I do? Well, I put on dark pants. <laughs> and showed the hell up in a stemital trance. <laughs> the show must go on, there isn't a choice, and so now I give you a crab with no voice. Already. <laughs> oh God, it's starting already. <laughs> this show is going to be a wondrous thing for people listening to the recording for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> if you're listening along at home, Crab's just entered dressed as Marcel Marceau and performed herself. What tug of warring herself out on stage? I don't know what you even call that kind of rope pulling and so forth. Um, now, I'm going to, going to explain. I'd like to, to let you know that this is the most prepared we've ever been for a show. <laughs> Out of sheer necessity. Um, the thing I think that um, really helped motivate Crab to come up with some wonderful ideas for this evening was when she first lost her voice and it was clear that it wouldn't be back by this weekend, I said, look, it's fine, you just stay home, I'll do like a TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> entire premise of Chat 10 is us bantering and taking the piss out of each other and 50% of the, the party is unable to speak. Although the way that she's wielding that pen is actually properly terrifying. It's, it's quite the challenge. But we always like rising to a challenge and so we have set ourselves a goal tonight. <laughs> now what's she saying? I'm going to have to walk around and have a look. Why are you dressed like that? <laughs> It feels like that's a pretty rich question coming from you. <laughs> um, look, be yeah, um, because I only know, um, you know, a handful of people in Perth, one of whom's Luke Longley, and of whom I'm a massive fan. And so I thought Longley was coming tonight, and so I thought he'd appreciate the gesture. Turns out the bugger isn't. <laughs> So I'm dressed like this for nothing. Although I did give Crab such a laugh on the way here. And if anyone walked past us while we were dissolved in hysterics in the street, no, we haven't been drunk since 4.30 this afternoon. Um, I said to Crab, dressed like this, I think I might walk on stage tonight to some classical music. And Crab took one look at me and started barking like a seal and just kind of bent over. She was able to kind of squawk, look at yourself. <laughs> So anyway, it's been very funny. Now, can I just say before we get into, into business, happy birthday, Marg Ellen. Simon, your lovely partner, told us it was your birthday today and he's dropped us off some beautiful tomato sauce as a bit of bribery and asked us to wish you a happy birthday. So happy birthday. <laughs> now, I should point out that Crab is feeling completely fine despite her lack of audibility. Uh, it's not a contagious thing. It is a uh, condition called psycho, psychogenic psychogenic voice disorder. Um, so she's actually fine and it's not contagious. So don't worry about that because we're signing books after later. So you don't need to worry that she's got some kind of cooties that she's about to give you. Um, she has, she's come all the way over from Sydney last night and then she's flying back again tomorrow um, and she's insisted that given the circumstances she be allowed to fulfill her life's dream of performing an interpretive dance while I read out part of one of her favourite poems. <laughs> so stick around, that's coming up. Now, what, what is also happening is that Murph has rigged up this weird text-to-voice app, which is going to allow Crab to fire off her opinions about stuff that she's read and watched while she's been laid up in a voice that's been provided by one of her close international celebrity friends. So we will be able to discuss stuff. It's just going to be um, slightly weird and probably a lot fewer interruptions um, than normal. And then she'll periodically do a bit of a Mr Squiggle on the board as required when I say something that's so egregious 
prestigious that it cannot possibly pass without mention. Now, before we get <laughs> into things, and this descends any further into farce, Crab and I are never anything but delighted to be here on Noongalan, a pla land, a place that has been a rich source of storytelling for thousands and thousands of years. And so it's just a great delight to be with all of you. And we thank you for hosting us. And as ever, we love to partner with a local charity everywhere we go. And here in Perth, it's Teach, Learn, Grow. And it's a charity that helps kids from rural and regional areas Research shows that kids in those areas often have lower educational outcomes. So Teach, Learn, Grow offers free one-on-one -on -one tutoring. It helps with building resilience. It basically tries to level the playing field for kids from remote areas. And so we're super happy to be donating some of the proceeds from tonight for them. Now, as I mentioned, we, we've come to believe that there's a Perth curse in play. Crab is going to assist in reminding us of all of the things that have actually occurred that have led us to believe this. And I'll try to remind the audience of what they've all been. Oh, yeah, the yogurt incident. <laughs> that was when I was speaking at the Perth Writers' Festival about any ordinary day of all things. And some dude took issue with me and hurled a tub of yogurt um, at me <laughs> and landed on me. Um, okay. There was... Gastro. <laughs> that was last year when I had to delay coming over for, for a, a day and, um, and was really quite ill. And I remember I came on stage and lay down immediately on a couch that was on the stage. That was bad. Crab also has sort of slightly low-level gastro. Just let it go. Um, cello, cello what? Cello horror. Oh, how dare you? That was also last year when I brought my cello and I, it needed to go in the front seat because it was more it suits the front seat better. And so Crab had to ride to the whole way to Albany in the back seat with Gwen. And she still goes on about it. And then finally this year, forgot my, forgot your frock. What do you mean? That's why you're wearing this. <laughs> forgot my frock. Well, you forgot your frock another, on another occasion. You forgot your frock last year. <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> Forgot your frog on International Women's Day. It's probably seared in their mind because apparently you took the stage nude. Um, and this year, she's mute. Muteness. Yep. So it's every single time. So we're starting. I mean, you probably could have put Gnomesville on there as well because we did go. <laughs> okay. So let's get into the actual content of it. So what I'm going to... Um, what we're going to do is, should I tell you about And Just Like That and then you'll respond to And Just Like That? Okay. So, um, I've kind of taken one for the team. I don't know why actually I did this. Has anyone else watched the latest season of And Just Like That? Okay. So, <sighs> the last season of it, oh, here we go. <laughs> the last season of it was pretty ordinary. So, I'm not really sure why I went back to it, but I decided that I would. <laughs> Crab, I, I know she hates Sex in the City, so she's probably already upset that this is where the, the show is beginning. Hands up. Oh, yes. <laughs> Hands up. <laughs> okay. Um, this will give, give you a hint of how problematic I've found that show um, to hold my attention. When I started watching the latest season, what I thought was the latest season, it got a bit of a way into it and Carrie was talking about Big and I thought... 
is this show, is it, are they, have this, have they gone back in time? Is it a prequel or something now? Because that, because spoiler alert, but um, that guy's that guy's that guy's dead. I don't know why Carrie's talking about him. And then I realised I was actually just rewatching episode one of the previous season, and it took me that far into it to realise I was watching something that I had already seen. Um, so that is how little impact the last season made on me. So I started watching. The thing that mostly strikes me about it is, I mean, I kind of watch it because I like clothes, as I've previously said, and I have nostalgic fondness for the characters. And so, I'm, and occasionally it does hit those notes where you feel like, oh, that's why I'm watching. I think part of the issue is they've moved it away from the core friendship between the four women, partly because Kim Cattrall wouldn't be in it, and then partly because they wanted to, I think she had a big falling out with Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, and they wanted to introduce more diversity into the show, quite rightly, because it was a very white uh, show. So (laughs) the good news is they have successfully um, introduced a form of equality because now every single character in it is really boring boring and annoying. Um, So it's it's actually, I found it really hard going, but I did think it kind of improved. And then by the final two episodes, I was finding it kind of a bit more poignant and yeah, I was kind of okay with it. Um, so yeah, but but it's just I don't I don't know. Sometimes I watch these things and I'm like, why am I watching this up to episode six? And I'm then I'm just still doing it. It's I just I don't know. Anyway, so Annabelle Crab, first audio file in response. <laughs> Crab's take on and just like that. <laughs> She's a whiz at technical things, luckily. Look, to be honest, I have avoided sex in the city for more than a decade. This extends to products and spin-offs, mainly because Carrie Bradshaw's version of what life is like as a newspaper columnist is just so completely and wildly off-beam. In Sex in the City, a columnist's life involves multiple outings to flashy events and fun get-togethers with your girlfriends. Then some hot guy hits on you in a bar. After a few cosmopolitans, you go back to his place for athletic sex. Then you brunch with your gay bestie. And finally, you sit on your bed in your bra and shorties pajamas tapping out what appears to be a 200-word column Somehow this column generates enough income to finance a really nice Manhattan apartment. Now that is not what a newspaper columnist's life is like. A newspaper (laughs) columnist spends the entire day pacing around hating herself for not having an idea. She will drink 10 cups of tea. Some of those cups of tea she will make and then forget she made it. And then she will make another one. And then she will find the first one. (laughs) And then she will microwave the first one and full of self-loathing. She will gouge out some absolute piece of shit as the deadline inches closer. (laughs) She emails the column from the depths of her own misery. Then and only then does she get drunk. The only accurate thing about the sex and the city version is that pajamas are involved. Those are my views. (laughs) Normally I'd argue with that, but... Delivered in the voice of Barack Obama, I feel like I can't really say anything. It imbued it with a lot more authority, I feel like. She had some other voice options too. Gwyneth Paltrow was one. Bit bit whiny. 
Um, was there other celebrity options? Oh, oh, here we go. Charades, good times. <laughs> okay. A singer, yeah. Two words. Second word. Dog. Who was it? Oh, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I wouldn't mind hearing from, from um, Snoop Dogg. Okay. Um, you. Want to, you've got more to say about Sex and the City that you're apparently not interested in at all. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know that you and your real best friend, Lisa Miller, are more enthusiastic about sex and the city than I am. And a few years ago, I was looking for ideas for your birthday. And I remembered that ridiculous site called Cameo. This is the one where you can pay money for a personal video message from movie star. I was looking for The Rock. But he's not on there. Neither is Idris Elba. No one super huge is on there. However, Chris Knopf is on there. And at 250 American dollars, I thought that was good value. So I drafted a message for him. It was going to be something like this. Hey, kid, you know I love you. I'm just not that crazy about saying it. And then, seriously, just before I sent the message and paid the money, a headline, Chris Knopf accused of sexual assault by two women. Delete, delete, delete. <laughs> wow. So that would have been a, um, a very special birthday <laughs> gift for me. Okay. I can't say I'm sorry that that uh, happened. Oh, okay, now you want Gwen to be brought out here. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Merch Queen, Gwen Blake. <laughs> here she is. In case you haven't seen her, she is out the front selling merch. So if you need poo drops, actually, have poo drops been made since... We didn't have poo drops last time we were in Western Australia. No, we did not. So Western Australians have just been stinking up the place. <laughs> well, they don't need them in Western Australia. Oh. <laughs> it's very hard to tell what she's saying. <laughs> um, okay, Gwenny. Now, she, Crab wants Gwen out here because... I'll just read what she told me to say, really. I'll just be obedient for once. Now, many of you know, but many of you will know this woman by reputation, if not by actual sight. This is Gwen Blake. <laughs> Crab? Oh, no, hang on, this is your line. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Crab has asked me to come out and help her with a little guessing game. It's a cameo guessing game. So she's given me a list of celebrities that are on Cameo and she wants sales to list them in descending order of what you have to pay to get that celebrity on Cameo. So most expensive person at the top. Yes. Okay. So um, the actors are Chris Noth pre-sex allegations and we've just heard already that that's $250. Okay. Um, and so we're kind of working around that. So then Chris Noth post-sex allegations. Um, I'll just run through them all and then we'll... Okay, yeah, yeah. you name them all. Okay. Um, Frenchie from Greece. Okay. Vanilla Ice. Lindsay Lohan. Brian Cox. Tori Spelling. And Corey Feldman. 
Oh, that's tricky, isn't it? So um, I'm well, she's gone ahead and put Chris North in the middle. So I'm assuming oh, at two fifty. At two fifty, okay. So, so where do you think Chris North post-sex allegations might go? Do you think that's going to be higher or lower? Can than... I ask for audience assistance on this? <laughs> so I would think. Does everyone think that would be kind of at the bottom? Yeah, right, right at the very bottom. Yeah, okay. So put him right at the very bottom. Then. Okay, I'm, not, I'm just going to do an audience poll, okay? So let's j- just give a round of applause for who you think might be at the top. Um, okay, Frenchie from Greece. Yeah, I thought maybe Frenchie from Greece just because she has a very distinctive voice and it's such an iconic movie. Yeah. But, okay. Um, vanilla. <laughs> maybe she's making more money at beauty school these days. Maybe. <laughs> um, vanilla Ice. Yeah. Because wouldn't you get him to say, like, if you got a birthday, you, I'll solve it. But, like, you need to get something like that. Is that Vanilla Ice? Who sings that song? Is that MC uh, Hammer? I think so. Is that Vanilla, vanilla Ice? Vanilla Ice, yeah, Ice Baby. Baby. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so Vanilla Ice. And just wait till we get the full audience feedback. Okay, who thinks it would be Lindsay Lohan? Really? Hi. Why would she be so far up the top? Nostalgia. Okay. Brian Cox? Yeah. I would think Brian Cox too. But maybe we're biased, but I just would think he'd have such a great voice. Yeah. Tori Spelling? Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) I would think for people of my generation, maybe people would have some nostalgia for 90210. I don't know. Corey Feldman? Yeah, I think too. A bit more. Yeah. Okay. Based on that then, we're going to have to go Brian Cox, number one. (laughs) Then was it... Was Lindsay Lohan the next amount of clapping? Okay, Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> then, <laughs> Not at the moment. Then I think Corey Feldman got the next biggest round of applause. Uh, well, obviously, Tori Spelling was... Um, did, is Tori Spelling below Chris Noth or above Chris Noth? Below. Below an accused man. Okay, um, so Tori Spelling's below Chris Noth post-sex offence. That's what you just said. <laughs> you were like, you were watching that. <laughs> Above Chris North. <laughs> okay. Okay, Dory Spelling's there. So that leaves, um, who have we got left? Vanilla, vanilla yeah. Ice. Yeah, and um, Frenchie from Greece you haven't put on yet. I Frenchie think. from Greece. Okay. Um, okay, we'll just go, we'll get an audience, audience um, show of applause. Who thinks it should be Frenchie from Greece next? Okay. Who thinks it should be Vanilla Ice? Oh, okay. Vanilla Ice. Now, I assume, Crab, you're going to maybe number them and reveal the I think she's going to put the prices on. Oh, the prices? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's... Do you, <laughs> do you know the prices? Do you want me to tell you? You don't... <laughs> Okay. Do you want Gwen, do you want Gwen, do you want Gwen to call out the prices, or are you just going to write them and surprise us with a different coloured pen and everything? Oh wow, it's just no effort spared, Brian. A thousand, right? Okay, good. Lindsay Lohan. Oh. Such an unusual, not round number. Yep, okay. Corey Feldman. 
I need to read it out. 624 it was for Lindsay Lohan. Corey Feldman's 394. Okay, Chris Nothmino's 250. Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice is 622. Interesting. Okay, Frenchie from Greece. <laughs> oh. oh, that's a bit sad. 172. Okay, Tory Spelling. 230. Okay. And then Chris North post-sex scandal. Nothing. Oh, no, he'd still have some fans, wouldn't he? Seven, 750! <gasps> what? <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> That's, That's a real downer. Thanks, Annabelle, for that, <laughs> for that wonderful game. <laughs> now, so Gwenny will be out the back if you want to say hello to her. Um, and what do yeah, you? What I'll are you, see you on the merch stand after the. What show. are your rates on cameo? <laughs> <laughs> Five bucks. <laughs> They're not even paying me. <laughs> Thank you, Gwenny. Bye. Now it is um, <laughs> extremely weird not really being able to interact in real time with Annabelle Crab. One of the last people to have an actual conversation with Annabelle Crabb is in the audience tonight. Um, and because Crabb can't actually interject, I'm going to ask her to come up on stage and tell us what it's like when you have a random encounter with Annabelle Crabb. So would you please welcome Anita Tandon. She's a Perth chatter who met Crabb by accident recently in an airport. She's going to come up and discuss this experience with us. <laughs> she is an eye surgeon actually. So she's very clever. <laughs> now, Anita, so just tell us firstly, how did you come to, well, firstly, when you met Annabelle Crabb, did she look like this or is this how she travels around the place? I met her on the uh, minus frock incident trip to Perth. Um, <laughs> but if she thought she was suffering, I had also suffered a dental misadventure and had no front tooth. <laughs> and was absolutely mortified to be standing at the Virgin Bar um, with, a, with my tooth out and a voice next to me says, I'll have a shampoo, thanks. <laughs> that was Annabelle Crabb. I looked at her with no front tooth and said, oh, my God, Annabelle Crabb, I'm a chatter, but I have no front tooth. I'm not a hobo. <laughs> I'm not homeless. <laughs> and so then you've boarded the plane and discovered that you are sitting next to her. Everyone gets a chance to meet their idol. <laughs> so and that was mine. <laughs> so now I was so beside myself. I didn't want to interrupt her. I wanted to leave her alone, but I wanted to spend every minute talking to her. So who, who when you came and sat in the... So firstly, when you had the encounter that with, without your teeth. Toothless. Yeah. But you did have teeth with you, though. I left it on a different table. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time you got on the plane, your she teeth said, were in. She said, I don't care. Come and have a drink. Oh, that's so nice. She was so nice. Now that's awful because now people, you've raised expectations that I might also do that and now I'm just, <laughs> it's terrible. I wish I'd never invited you up here. I knew, I knew you would have blanked me. Yeah, well that's, so, okay. So if you came up to the plane and 
let's say this is my book, right? You've, I'm, I'm in the window seat, you've come in, and I'm doing this, and I go, what would you do? <laughs> That's funny. And it was her, and she was busy watching Harry Styles do um, unmentionable things to Florence Pugh. Oh. <laughs> And I was watching her, <laughs> but trying to play it cool. <laughs> so then who actually struck up some conversation once you got going on the plane? We found out we had one or two things in common. Oh, and what were Over those Over to you, things? Annabelle Crabb. <laughs> News to me that you, <laughs> <laughs> that you had something in common, Harry Styles fandom. News to me that you were watching mm. Harry Styles. You were. Oh. Oh, mm. Very intently, apparently. Something darling. What are the things that you have in common? Sex, that you're both sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, both ADHD. (laughs) So you bonded over this. And we did. And we talked about imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going to Sydney for some work that I was a bit stressed about. Right. And um, she was incredibly supportive. Oh. And it was one of the times when you meet your idol and it's better than you could imagine. Oh, that's so nice. Now, um, the funny thing also is that you have had the same vocal disorder that Crab currently has, psychogenic. So you call it psychogenic vocal dysphonia? Well, she told me to call it that, so, yeah. (laughs) Is that what it is? I'm 56 years old and went to medical school in a different time. (laughs) Okay, so what do you call it? We call it globus hystericus. (laughs) (laughs) So what is it exactly? Um... Actually, I was just talking with an ENT surgeon about it and normal people can get it and <laughs> and abnormal ones as well, apparently. I had it. Yeah. I had it. It's a, an episodic, unknown um, spasm of the vocal cords. Oh, and so what's the answer to then getting rid of it? So I saw a really nice speech pathologist who was incredibly clever. Um, she massaged my neck, told me to open my throat like a drain, told me to manage the stress in my life. I started to cry, scurried away and never went back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it got better. <laughs> so because I know Crab had a thing this week. So when it, obviously it is, you know, in all seriousness, it's quite alarming when you lose your voice totally like it's not and it's not really that you've got a cold or whatever it's just kind of like suddenly disappears and then because you know normally when you lose your voice it comes back after a day and so then after a few days of her having zero voice it was actually really quite stressful and so she went off to see specialists and stuff and then one of the things that she rapidly was sent to was I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it but laryngeal massage what is that exactly so they just basically massage all this area around here. She gave me a really nice massage and I started to cry. And <laughs> <laughs> and so that's all aimed at getting rid of the tension that's around mm. this area. Imagine your throat as a drain. Open the drain. Right. Okay, that's good to know. I couldn't talk. She couldn't, her, her talking is way more important than mine. But presumably neither of you knew before your voice just disappeared. Like, Do you feel any kind of creeping sense of no. vocal I, I could. I actually could talk but I couldn't sing and the world <sighs> is not missing out. But 
<laughs> I feel kind of bad that we've had you up here for all of this, but you're actually an eye surgeon. So what do you actually, what's your actual work involve? Um, I see adults and children and I run the department at PCH, which is the children's hospital. Oh. <laughs> My main job, my main job is wife and mother. <laughs> now, let me, I could never sing. Oh, yeah, true. It's no great loss for her. So. <laughs> um, Anita, thank you for being a good sport and letting us haul you up here. Much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Crab, while you're still on your feet, why don't you give us a... Um, Oh, no, she wants to write again. Oh, no, not. Okay. Why don't you give us a charade of what you want to talk about next? Okay. Here we go. Oh, are you going to do a – just going to play your audio? No. Okay. Charade. Okay. TV show. Three words. Two words. <laughs> Morning Wars. <laughs> morning Wars. Okay. All right. Hit us with your take on Morning Wars. Or hit us with Barack's take on Morning Wars, I should say. I swore I'd never watch another series of Morning Wars because the second series really hit peak ridiculous. <laughs> I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it was that broke me. Was it Jennifer Aniston's relentless back pain and little huffing noises? Was it Steve Carell living as a fugitive sex offender in what seemed to be an advertisement for the Italian tourism board? Was it the transfixingly awful attempt to half deal with a global epidemic? I don't know. But by the end of series two, I was literally throwing crushed up beer cans at the TV. And I really only cracked into series three in the last week because I couldn't speak. I couldn't work. I couldn't yell at my kids. All my humble life pleasures gone and that's why i started watching series three of morning wars here's the worst thing it's a lot better than series two so to my deep shame i'm really enjoying it i'm not actually sure why so far reese witherspoon has been shot into space with billy crudup on a rocket belonging to john ham the rocket looks exactly like a penis john ham is also trying to buy the network because just having a penis rocket is clearly not enough. Someone has been caught having sex in Jennifer Aniston's office. <laughs> There's a racism scandal at the network. Also catastrophic data heck. And I'm only on episode four. I'm not proud. I'm really not. But also, I really, really like those opening credits. These are my thoughts. Thank you. <laughs> Good. So do you um, – oh, it's just so hard to not ask you a question, but I'll try and make it a yes or no. Do you – okay, so when when we're hearing Barack, you've actually written that, right, because you have to for the voice to text, and you are a fantastic writer, and so that I thought was excellent. But also when you talk about stuff, that's also excellent. But I was just listening to that thinking, oh, that's just some real quality analysis there. Do you think you prefer to – write down that kind of a thing or do you prefer to just speak it? Write it. Okay, so does that mean we're going to be doing this every time? <laughs> Writing is more perfect.
perfect. Yeah, because you got time to to perfect it exactly always. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's true. But the question was, do you have a preference? <laughs> I mean, I don't have a preference. I like talking to you, but I also do really enjoy your writing. <laughs> like pretty much, you. I think you've been on fire lately with your writing, actually. I think you've been writing some absolutely cracking um, pieces of work, just truly brilliant. And that, I should actually add that poem. So <laughs> when I said earlier this week, I was like, oh God, I'll just do a TED talk or something. Um, even though I'm scared of that kind of just roaming around without any notes, palaver. Crab said, and Crab too, neither of us does that style. It scares us. Um, Crab, uh, I, I was really quite anxious about doing this because I kept saying to Crab, if it doesn't work and everyone's finding it not funny and the gag of you having no voice wears thin, it's 100% on me to be funny and entertaining for the entire time and to rescue it. And so I was really like wound around the axle. In fact, the whole week, all I've been sending her is gifts of Beaker because that has been my vibe literally the entire week. (laughs) Anyway, Crab kept texting and stuff and and trying to reassure me going, look, I think it's going to be fine. And that poem that I opened with, I swear she wrote it in about 10 minutes. I emailed her and went, I just, I don't think we can go ahead. And she's like, we can go ahead. Here you go. This is what we're opening with. I just wrote back and went, that's unbelievable. I cannot believe you wrote that in 10 minutes. It was, sometimes I really am quite blown away by you. Oh, I've got to give my take on Morning Wars in a second too. Sorry, I got distracted blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> I, I can do more poems tonight. <laughs> no, not tonight. In future, I think we can get you to do more poems. Okay, so Morning Wars. Funny that you raised the opening credits because I actually sent a message this week to my best friend, Lisa Miller, and uh, <laughs> and the executive producer of ABC News Breakfast, Tyson Shine, who's a wonderful person and a brilliant executive producer. And that dude who's the EP on Morning Wars, I've never seen an actor who embodies so well the vibe of what executive producers are actually like, which is that poor guy looks like he hasn't slept in about 10 years and all of the people in those jobs are just the most stressed people. It's horrendous. Anyway, I sent Lisa and Tyson a thing about the opening titles and said, um, I think they've done an incredible job with the opening titles of capturing the vibe of what breakfast television is like because breakfast television has an extraordinary large number of moving parts and it has to go through all sorts of different things. And if you pay attention to the opening credits of Morning Wars, it has this incredibly detailed syncopated drum rhythm which changes kind of every bar it's extraordinarily difficult to play I would imagine and then the visuals are these bouncing coloured balls that move around all over the place too and so it's really it really evokes the sense of what a breakfast television news program's like pretty much all of your analysis was exactly what I was thinking when I was watching it um and and also I've bizarrely enjoyed it too and then I was going why am I enjoying this they sent and wreaths with a spoon into a rocket like it's so ridiculous but it's I don't know it's just actually quite enjoyable I love Billy Crudup because I like that quality he's got this twinkly eye quality I think I've said it in the pod before where he always looks like he's kind of making mischief or even when there's crises he looks like he's finding it wildly amusing and he's got this kind of smile that really lights up things 
and I know this is probably a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I've already, you know, dissed Sex in the City, so I'm just going to keep rolling with it. Um, I just don't know. I don't think Jennifer Aniston's a very good actor. <laughs> It's all a bit, yeah, I just kind of, the hair thing and I just, I just, yeah, I just, she leaves me a bit cold, I'm afraid. But anyway, look, I'm just, I'm going to keep, keep watching just for those opening titles, frankly. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, speaking of shows about the making of television, The Newsreader, has anyone been watching that? Yes. It's it's great. I think I enjoyed season one, but I actually think season two is better. Um, I find it a fascinating watch on a few different levels, mostly because I see things all the time that remind me of being in, I wasn't in a newsroom in the 1980s, I came in in the 1990s, but lots of the things were the same. But even in, in the scenes in the house where things like the phone on the kitchen wall with the cord and I I just go, oh, that's right. When there was only one phone and you'd stretch the cord as long as it could possibly go and you'd try to be out the back on the landing so you could have a private phone conversation. So it's all of those little things and the clothes, of course, and the wardrobe and so forth. But I think some of the um, characters in it this season really develop brilliantly and some of them I just really enjoy because – I feel like they're quite recognisable to me from years um, working in a newsroom. One of the things I didn't know, but that the writer Michael Lucas has um, told me, so Lisa Miller, (laughs) I think you all know who she is in my life. (laughs) She and I are doing this companion podcast to the newsreader, which we frankly ripped off from that awesome succession one where you just analyse the episode and then you interview people who are involved with the show, either behind the scenes or on the show. It was a really, really fun thing to do, actually. And it's an, inc- <laughs> it's an incredible treat because it's you get to actually – that feeling of when you're watching a television show and you think, oh, I'd love to talk to that person or I'd love to ask them about this or how that happened, we actually got to do it, which was really fantastic. But Michael Lucas, the creator – hang on, I'll come back to that in a sec when I read this – you two have amazing – this could go anywhere. Chemistry? Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Because we've been friends for 30 years. So. <laughs> yeah, but we do too, so it's fine. Um, so Michael Lucas... <laughs> Michael Lucas revealed when he was writing the first season of The Newsreader, he came to have a coffee with me because he was talking to lots of people in television just about their recollections of that era and so forth. And I said, I remembered being the most junior person in in a newsroom in the early 1990s and how you just were in a constant state of fear that you were going to get in trouble. And you'd be told, you've got to get that person on the show tonight or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And you just lived in fear that you're going to get yelled at. And if things went wrong on air, the feeling in the television studio, in the control room or on the studio floor, it was just this, oh, it's hard to explain. It was like this, everything would go silent and it would be a sense of dread and you'd be just trying to not make eye contact with anyone. Anyway, he told me that the character of Nolene on the show was heavily drawn from what I told him that it was like being a junior person in the newsroom. <laughs> Nausea, oh, completely. So um, that was funny because Nolene is one of my favourite characters on there because I find her so relatable. So that was funny. It's like, oh, it's actually me. 
<laughs> and also Lindsay, I love, I kept thinking William McInnes was going to have a heart attack because, oh my goodness, his level of, of um, blow up is just absolutely full on. There's this beautiful line, it's all dropped on Ivy now, you can watch the whole thing. This isn't a spoiler if you've not seen it, where he has a fight with Jeff, who's the older male newsreader, and Jeff says to him, you are a reptilian slug of a human. And Lindsay goes, oh, well, old cock, you can't be both a reptile and a slug. (laughs) Don't you think that's such a news editor kind of thing to pick up in a, yeah, in a fight? And such an insult in our field because not only is it implying that you're a dickhead, it also implies that you don't know how to do your job properly because you can't use the English language in a precise kind of manner. Anyway, that's been, um, that's been fantastically good fun. And I feel like, yeah, exactly. We're running out of time because I'm just yapping away. What have you got for us? Are you going to do another, mo- another charade? Okay. A movie. It's got to be authentic. Oh. Is it a murder thing? Strangling. Misery. <laughs> oh, Misery. You finally watched Misery. Oh, <laughs> that, I've begging, I've, that I've begged you to watch and mentioned eight, only probably 8,500 times on this podcast. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Has this also been this week while you've not been able to scream at your kids? Okay. <laughs> All right, here comes Barack again. <laughs> Lee Sales, you have talked about the film Misery many times. Every time you raise the matter, I have nodded and smiled. I have allowed you to believe that I too have watched that movie. This was a lie. I have never before watched Misery. I know it stars Kathy Bates as a psychotic nurse. I know it stars James Caan as her captive. That's about it. Misery has never sounded like a movie I would like very much. But on Tuesday of this week, I watched it. I agree that the performances are very compelling. But Lee Sales, I beg you, that plot is sillier than Jaws 2. Let me acquaint the audience with it. Just give me a moment while I set up at the whiteboard so I can draw you an actual diagram of the plot of this film so you can appreciate how completely cockamamie the whole deal is. Okay, the action is set in a remote mountain town. James Conn is a world-famous writer who comes to stay in a secluded cabin nearby to finish his new novel. He drives into a blizzard and his car crashes near this mountain town. He disappears. His car is later found. Empty, the town has approximately five residents. Two of them are cops. One of them is the shopkeeper. The shopkeeper sells dozens of James Conn's books to one of the other residents, Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates is an ex-husband who died driving off the road in a blizzard. She is obsessed with James Conn. She is a nurse, but she no longer practices because she was implicated in about 10 mysterious deaths at the local hospital where she used to work. No one can figure out who might have taken James Conn prisoner. Even though Kathy Bates is popping into town every second day to buy typewriter ribbon and typing paper. Also painkillers and heavy grade restraints. And yet, this movie runs for 104 minutes. 
So I ask you, Lee Sales, how can you defend this film? <laughs> okay. I've got a new take on my earlier question about you writing stuff versus saying stuff. I definitely prefer you saying stuff so you can't achieve the perfection of the written analysis because now you've just fucking destroyed that film for me. <laughs> Look, I'm going to stick with it because it's a comedy. It's, I think, misery, <laughs> it's a comedy. <laughs> misery. <laughs> It's a comedy. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, we're going to be voting. All right. Comedy horror. <laughs> okay. <laughs> comedy horror drama. All right. Let's get um, audience applause. Okay. Who thinks <laughs> misery is a comedy? Yeah. Woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who thinks misery is a horror? <laughs> <laughs> Who thinks misery is a drama? <clears throat> is there anyone that would agree with me that it's like a, it's a black comedy? It's like one of those horror films that it's like Scream, right? Where it's kind of like comic. It's horror, but it's comic. That's what I'd say. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you have all now joined Annabelle Crabbe in ruining that beautiful, co- <laughs> that beautiful comedy masterpiece for me. <laughs> right. Now, Crabbe according to the instructions issued earlier, now wishes to talk about a new Australian movie. Take it away, Robo Crab. <laughs> By the way, it's chilling to hear Barack Obama go, Lee Sales. I can't do a charade of this one because the movie isn't out yet, but I wanted to talk about it or at least have Barack talk about it because it's a great Australian movie that has already won big fancy awards at Sundance and in the UK, and it's Australia's entry for best foreign film at the Academy Awards this year. It's called Shada. It tells the story of an Iranian-born woman who has moved to Australia with her husband, but she is forced to seek refuge in a women's shelter with her young daughter, Mona. The women's shelter is run by Leah Purcell. The mum is played with incredible grace by Tsar Emmer Ibrahimi. Honestly, I could not keep my eyes off her. And the little girl is just the most remarkable actor, too. The movie opens with Shada and Leah Purcell and the little girl at the airport. They're showing her what the international departure gates look like. And they're teaching her that if her dad ever brings her to this airport, she needs to run to one of the people in the blue uniforms and tell them who she is. The whole film is like that, full of the detail and the fear and the planning that women have to do when they and their children are in danger. It's also a film full of joy, though. I just loved it. The national release is on October 5. It's written and directed by Nora Nayasari. It's based partly on her own life. And it's produced by Vincent Sheehan, who also makes the BC comedy series Fisk. Right. I'm actually going to the opening of that on Tuesday night in Sydney, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. And actually, strangely enough, I have only just watched Fisk in the past week. I know. I just, honestly, I know. 
but, you know, found all the time in the world to watch and just like that. Oh, for God's sake. Um, I, Fisk is crab and I talk about it this all the time where we say people tell us you must watch something, you'll absolutely love it for whatever stupid reason you don't and then you watch it and you go, I absolutely love this. Within about the first five minutes of watching Fisk, I was like, this is just absolutely fantastic. Looking for, looking forward to the sales plane <laughs> of why Fisk is so great. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> I'm going to proceed with it anyway <laughs> because I'm the only person on stage who can talk. <laughs> um, it, it has notes of a whole heap of things <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I absolutely <laughs> love. Um, the office, obviously, but also... Just the Australianness of it, like Muriel's wedding, strictly ballroom, like it just gives me all these kind of feelings all the time of things that I really love. Obviously, you know, Kitty Flanagan's fantastic, but I probably would have to say my favourite is Julia Zamira. <laughs> Shit, Roz. Yeah, the hair. Oh, the hair. Whoever came up with the, that idea for that hairdo, just absolutely fantastic. And the wardrobe actually of everyone is is brilliant. One of the th- gags that made me laugh the h- hardest in season one was when she goes in for the job interview and the guy comments on that she's wearing all brown and she just, you know, fades into the chair and someone walks into the room and attempts to sit on her. (laughs) And then the other thing in episode one, I just don't think there's ever been a show on Australian television that has not been improved by the arrival of Glenn Robbins. (laughs) That man... Honestly, he is just so funny. And he's one of, he's, for me, he's like Hugh Grant, which he's one of these people who, he can do almost nothing and Glenn Robbins makes me laugh. Like I was watching this ad, um, which was on some show, I kept seeing it at the start of something that I was binging and it's an ad for a car, uh, Mitsubishi. And Glenn Robbins is, he protect, there's a coil in the back and he's like, oh, it's a black snake, but it's actually just a cable for something. Anyway, when he, he does the piece to camera, like, oh, I'm here to help these people. Oh, let's go and have a look. And the way that he stands up and then he just, he starts walking and then he does a couple of quick run steps. And it makes me just laugh every single time that I see it. And it's just, there's something about him that is so hilarious. He one year was um, at the Logies sitting just not that far from me. And I had never watched the show, the Russell Coit show that he does. And um, they played up, you know, and best comedy, and they played a lengthy clip from it. I was just in tears. And I was like when Crab gets me laughing and I'm out of control laughing. I'm sure everyone around me thought I was just completely drunk and mad because I could not stop laughing at, at Glenn Robbins. So the second Glenn Robbins showed up, I was like, oh, Glenn Robbins is here. <laughs> it's even better. So that was great. But then I, he's never come back. He was only in episode one. So I'm just hoping that he returns at some point. Anyway, it's just absolutely, um, fa- yeah, I know I'm still talking. <laughs> it's, it's stressful, okay? You get worried that you're going to run out of something to talk about. Oh, no. Here we go. Need a leek. Lemon. <laughs> lemon. Hot lemon honey. You need lemon honey tea. Do you want me to go get it? You're going to go get it yourself. Oh, you're going to go off, all right, and you're going to leave me alone to fill space. What am I going to talk about? Oh, (laughs) it's going to be a challenge. (laughs) Right, okay. I'm going to talk while she gets herself a cup of tea. (laughs) And this is going to be my topic for conversation. 
my topic for conversation is going to be those sanitary pads that... <laughs> no. My topic is wings. Winging. Winging it. Oh, my topic is winging it. For about how long, do you reckon? Ten minutes. <laughs> All righty. Well, you wrote a poem, so, okay. Off you go. Get yourself a cup of tea. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> winging it. Yes. How was not? I never actually went. Crab went to Gnomesville. I didn't end up going, no. I, I took a different route back to um, Perth. So save that question for Annabelle Crabb when she gets back up here. Um, okay, so winging it. <laughs> um, I know that this show looks like every time that we do it that we're completely winging it and lots of obviously, as you know, lots of the content is winged the entire time. Um, but we do, for a regular show, do a little bit of planning. We know what the topics are and we've got a vague sense of the direction of where we're going, but we don't map out, you know, all of the content. This show tonight, as you can see, we've had to map out in more detail. Now, the thing that gives us confidence to go out on stage and to just wing it um, is the trust in the relationship. And so all of the things, now I've got a shaking hand because I'm left on the stage by myself, because the thing that gives me the confidence to um, come out and talk on stage without anything, <laughs> I'm getting more nervous as it goes on, <laughs> is um, because I know that if I run out of things to say or if it's going off track because I trust Crab and that she's very funny and presumably vice versa, that you know that you've got the other person to rely on and that they'll be able to get you out of a pickle and that it'll just keep rolling and keep being funny. And so that's basically what enables us to get out on the high wire. But you don't always have that. For example, when your so-called friend decides that they're going off to get a lemon tea and they leave you to speak to a thousand people by yourself with a, a challenge that they've written up on the board. Um, and so that is obviously somewhat daunting. Now, one of the most common, in fact, I think actually the most common question that people ask me is, do I still get nervous? And the answer is, of course, I still get nervous. And people think that people are surprised by that because they say, oh, but you seem so confident. And when we see you on television, you don't show any signs of being nervous and so forth. But of course, I get nervous because I'm a human being. And so everybody gets nervous. I remember this was now years ago, but I had to interview Hillary Clinton uh, in Melbourne. And I was so nervous that I threw up from anxiety three days before the event. And I thought, oh my God, this is horrendous. If I'm this bad three days before the actual thing, how bad am I going to be on the actual day? But on the actual day, funnily enough, I was completely fine. Um, and it's something that I've learned over the years doing what I do for a job, that the anticipation of something is almost worse than the actual, is always worse than the actual doing of it, no matter how much you might dread the actual doing of it. You wouldn't believe us when we're backstage before this show, we pace around and we get all incredibly nervous and we're like, they just need to call us out. We just need to get going because otherwise we sort of roam around going, well, this is just, tonight Crab's been pacing back and forth going, well, this, this is just madness. It's madness. <laughs> and so forth. Now, so why, why do I get nervous? The reason is, I think, because of fear of messing it up. Um, in a forum like this, it's fear of being boring. Um, it's fear of running out of things to say. 
some of the times at work that I would get the most nervous, the most nervous by an absolute mile is federal election night because it's a bit like this where you are just out um, and it's after the first half hour, it's a big empty rundown in front of you because you don't know what's going to happen. And actually what kind of gets you through that is the same principle as this, which is other people that you trust, like Anthony Green, that you know that if you're at a, a loose end, you just go... Anthony, what's what's on your computer? And you just throw, you just, it's like you just pass the ball to Anthony because you don't want to be touching it anymore. So you have, you know, various things that you're able to use to sort of get you through. But I think along with election nights, some of the other things that would um, cause me to be very nervous would be, say, certain celebrity interviews if they were very famous people. I remember being particularly nervous before doing an interview with Harrison Ford, where it was when that Star Wars came out, the recent one where Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and all of them came back and they were travelling around the world promoting it. And when I did the research, it noted that Harrison Ford is kind of taciturn and shy and, and quite introverted and many interviews had made reference to him being a difficult interviewee. And so I was worried about building rapport with him. When you do these big celebrity interviews, you get um, a very limited amount of time with them. They, they go, you're kind of set up in a room and they go from room to room in a hotel and uh, so they just walk in and you might be told you have 10 minutes and so you, you don't really have time to sort of warm them up or be friendly. You've got to kind of go but you've got to get usable material on camera straight away. And so with Harrison Ford on this particular occasion, I'd had what I thought was this masterstroke after reading all of this stuff about him being such an introvert And so when he came into the room, there's always a couple of minutes while the crew just tweaks the lighting ever so slightly. And so I said, um, you know, Harrison, it's so nice to meet you and, um, you know, congrats on the movie, blah, blah, blah. Look, I know you've been going all around the world and this, the crew's just going to tweak the lights for a couple of minutes. This might be the only two minutes that you get to yourself all, all day. And so I just don't want you to feel like you have to make small talk and use up energy on that. So if you want... I'm just really happy for us to sit in silence here and for you to just take that two minutes to yourself and just use it just for a tiny, tiny bit of recharge. That'd be fine. And I was just thinking, (laughs) Harrison Ford is going to love you after you've said that. Anyway, Harrison Ford goes, "Um, not at all. I'd love to have a chat. And then I'm just going, oh my God, I haven't pre-prepped any small talk for Harrison Ford. It's one of those things where when I think about it now, I just, it's like a a. 3am thing that just like, oh, what about that time that you were just a (laughs) dickhead in front of Harrison Ford? I think I was like, oh, my brother used to have some Star Wars figures that we used to, I I used to like Greedo. Greedo was one of my favourites. Oh, it was just mortifying. (sighs) Anyway, so um, what, what is it that, allows you to kind of wing it and just because I feel like now I've gone so off track, I've got to like pretend that I'm back on the topic. Uh, What is it that allows you to wing it um, successfully, I guess, and to put yourself out there? For me, it's partly the fear of missing out because I think of all the good things and fun things that I get to do that if I um, squibbed it, and said, I just can't do it, I'm too scared, that I'd be sitting at home on the couch watching somebody else interview Paul McCartney or Harrison Ford or host election night or, or do whatever. And that to me feels like it would be a worse feeling than just kind of mustering up my courage and going out there and doing it. 
So usually, to use, stick with the example of the federal election, because that, as I say, was the thing I would find the hardest, in the week leading up to the election, um, usually around, I've come to realise there's a pattern for me going into big set piece things. Around the Tuesday of election week, I would start thinking, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and then I'd think, well, you don't, no one's holding a gun to your head. You don't have to do it. Go, go in there. Go in there right now and tell them that you don't want to do it. They'll get David Spears or someone to do it. It's fine. And then I'd think, oh, no, I don't want someone else to do it. Okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Then on the Thursday, so I've realised, and same with the Hillary Clinton thing, I get this like three-day-out blues where I feel um, just horrendous. I wake up on the day, I feel like really flat and exhausted and tired. I'll be teary and I just feel like this is, why am I doing this to myself? This is the worst. It's awful. But because that happens a lot, now I know that when that arrives, I go oh, yes, right, it's the old three-day-out blues have arrived. That's good because that's part of the process. That's great. Okay, good. And I just observe that it's sitting there. And then I'm sure everyone has these kind of similar um, thought processes. (laughs) I'll have these thought processes where I'll try to reassure myself where I say, um, you are not going to mess this up. You have done this before you you are so well prepared. You've never messed it up before. You are going to do a really, really good job. And then the other voice in my head goes, ah, yes, but you're a human being. And the fact that you've never messed it up before means that every time you don't mess it up, you are just one day closer to that day when you will inevitably miss it up. So that nonsense just goes on and then it gets to the day of the thing. And then about one o'clock on election day, then I feel really bad again because then I go, well, now you really have left it too late. They can't get David Spears now. <laughs> now you are definitely doing it. And it's that sense of that the train is leaving the station and you are on that train. So the thing that gets me through it, it's the fear of missing out that just kind of propels me um, forward. It's the acceptance now that where I try to, instead of being buffeted by this horrible anticipation and process, that I try to almost step outside myself and observe, um, ah, okay, you're at the, you know, stressy part of it and, and so forth. You're in the 10 minutes before the show. Um, so, it's, it's where you're feeling bad. As soon as you get on stage, it's going to be fine. And it's also because I've done it enough now that I know that the feeling at the end of it, on the other side of having done it, is so fantastic. And it's partly, I won't lie, just the straight relief of it's over, I did it, I did something that completely scared me and I've, I've now done it and I did it and I did okay. But it's also that sense of, wow, I, that was really hard and I actually did it. And that gives you a bit more for next time. It doesn't actually make the feeling go away for me. Maybe it does for some people. But for me, I always still feel a sense of anxiety about how am I going to do it and how am I going to be thinking on my feet and so forth. But having done it before makes me feel like, you know, I can do it again. And this was something actually that I noticed a lot with people that I would interview on 7.30. And it was this realisation that for anyone who's operating kind of at the limits of their potential, the reality is at least some of the time they're feeling really extremely uncomfortable. So for athletes, it might be 
like me, obviously Chicago Bulls, former Chicago Bulls player, uh, you, it's physical discomfort and they are able to really push, you know, beyond physical discomfort. For politicians, it might be really severe emotional um, or mental strain or business leaders, if they're in a crisis, it's actually like really quite severe um, mental strain that's very uncomfortable and everyone at the time wants to be out of it, but you just kind of push through. And so that's that's the kind of thing I think that um, that they're the things that Crab and I rely on when we come out here and talk to all of you, um, the, the, the various devices that kind of give us the you know, guts to just step out and be talking off the top of our head. And as I say, the trust that your other partner's there. And thank God my other partner's back there in the wings right now. Would you please welcome back Annabelle Crab? Very nice. Very nice. That's a great outfit. You look fantastic. How hard was it to get that white stuff off your face? Can you write? (laughs) Creating visual. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Now, crab gave me one final instruction, as you might recall, right from the beginning of the show. And it was that I would read out her favourite poem so that she could do an interpretive dance. <laughs> is, this, is that something that the crowd has enthusiasm for? Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, here we go. It is, the poem is, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And mercifully, she's picked some hi- highlighted bits. She's not doing the entire uh, <laughs> thing. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. And let me just, I feel like I just need a drink before we get this underway. <laughs> okay. It's like she's in this anticipatory bit that I was just talking about before where you're like, just get on with it, please, because I'm just feeling anxious and I want to just get on with it. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky, like a patient etherized upon a table. (laughs) Let us go through certain half-deserted streets, the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap hotels, (laughs) and sawdust restaurants with oyster shells. Streets that follow like a tedious argument of insidious intent to lead you to an overwhelming question. Oh, do not ask it. What is it? Let us go and make our visit. In the room where the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. (laughs) And would it have been worth it after all? After the cups, the marmalade, the tea, among the porcelain, among some talk of you and me? Would it have been worthwhile to have bitten off the matter with a smile? To have squeezed the universe into a ball? To roll it towards... (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you were practising that Jennifer Aniston sore back routine earlier (laughs) because... 
think you'll be calling on it later. Okay. Sure. <laughs> okay. I won't repeat that line to bring us back up to where we were, but to, okay. To roll it towards some overwhelming question to say, I am Lazarus, come from the dead. Come back to tell you all, I shall tell you all. If one settling a pillow by her head should say, that is not what I meant at all, that is not it at all. I grow old. I grow old. <laughs> I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing, each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. I have seen them riding seaward on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves blown back when the wind blows the water white and black. <laughs> we have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed with seaweed, red and brown, till human voices wake us and we drown. And scene. Thank you, Perth. <laughs>